It's Wednesday, April 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we've got Matt Argersinger from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio and Aaron Bush from Motley Fool Supernova and Rule Breakers. Gentlemen, welcome. All right. Thanks, Good to Matt. be here. Guys, we've got a great show here. We're going to talk a little Facebook, we're going to talk some Tesla, and we'll talk Netflix. But we begin with Big Blue. Shares of IBM down sharply on Wednesday. Matt, on Tuesday, IBM reporting better than expected earnings, but a decline in quarterly revenue, and that's the 20th straight quarter of declining revenue. That doesn't sound very good. doesn't sound good, but I, look, forget the results, forget the 20th consecutive quarter, forget the 50% drop in free cash flow, forget the fact that the company is constantly in a state of business and capital restructuring. Uh, just forget all that. Here's the question. Forgotten. What the hell does this company do? Can I say that on, on air? Cloud computing? <laughs> Logistic services, business solutions. Okay, so according to the 10K, IBM is a cognitive solutions and cloud platform company with a focus on industry capabilities and expertise. And that's the abridged version. The business description goes on for several pages in the annual report. Uh, look, I, we see all the you know those clever commercials with Watson. How does that really work? Can can I buy a Watson? Can the Motley Fool buy a Watson to help us pick better stocks? I could use it, but. I'm still I'm I'm just I'm I'm confused with this, as to what IBM is today and what it's doing. And I'm also very confused as to why Warren Buffett has invested in this company. And I'm not I know the fact that everyone talks about the fact that Warren Buffett's lost money by investing in IBM, but that's not really what I'm getting at. You know, for years and decades, Buffett came out and said, you know, I don't want to invest in companies that are going to be doing something drastically different in the future that they were doing in the past. And you know, most of the time he kind of called out high technology companies as an area of, that's outside of his circle of competence. I can't think of a company that's more outside of Warren Buffett's circle of competence and that is constantly changing uh, than IBM. And so why is Warren Buffett invested in this company? And why is he not invested in a company like Amazon, which is simply Earth's most customer-centric company, Jeff Bezos, you know, invested uh, CEO founder that Buffett admires. Yet Buffett is investing in IBM. It's just there's so many questions I have with this company. I don't really care about the results. I just I just don't understand what this company does and why someone would invest in it. And I don't care about Warren Buffett, but, but this is this is this is what I would say. If IBM were a ship, it's like there's a giant hole at the bottom, and management is so focused on saying let's navigate this way and just completely ignoring the the hole at the bottom. If you look at their five different business units. Um, four of them are going down, and only one of them is going up, and it was only up like two percent uh, this quarter. And I think that. And, and what unit is that? That is the cognitive solutions business unit. So that's, so that's the bright spot. That that is the. And it's only up two percent. Yeah, it's only up two percent. So you don't even need your sunglasses. It's not that bright. But um, I would just say like every quarter that goes by, Cloud and Watson, it does play a bigger role, and I feel like this, the same. You know, commentary about IBM has been going on for as long as I've been paying attention to stocks at all, um, and, it and that has... was since you were about ten years old. So not not too long ago. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it has it has improved. So it, I think it is moving in the right direction. But yeah, management is playing by the same rules that they always have been, um, slowly moving in the right direction, slowly reinvesting into to bigger opportunities. But still, the majority of their cash is going to dividends. It's going to share repurchases. If they were really serious about you know, like kicking things in the right direction. I think they would divest more. They would more heavily invest, reinvest in their own, you know, Watson-like AI applications, and they would probably pursue acquisitions more heavily. But they're just doing the same thing, trying to move in some direction while ignoring the hole at the bottom of the ship. Well, let's talk about one of the bright spots, which was their cloud computing revenue. Um, the quarterly cloud computing revenue up 
33% year over year. Is that where the future is for IPM? Is it is it all about the cloud, or is that not going to be enough? I think that's definitely a piece. I think it has to be a piece of it. And I think IBM views their role maybe a little bit different from how um, like Microsoft, Azure, or Amazon Web Services would be in here. I think Amazon um, and, and Microsoft, Google, those guys are more focused on probably what IBM would view as like the commoditized um, portion of the cloud, um, where it's just a bunch of services that you can, you know, rent or use, kind of more on the spot depending on your demand. But IBM, I think, views their role more. I don't know if I would say people-centric, but more like the integrators. Like they're going to help you figure out how to put things in place. They're going to to leverage their existing customers who have been super legacy for a long time to try, you know, slowly moving them into something higher tech, but. I mean, there definitely is a place for these guys, and they have the customers to take advantage of, but they're not being a game changer here. Okay, shares of IBM down more than 20% over the last five years. That's versus the S&P, which is up more than 65%. So, guys, when you look out over the next five years, does IBM beat the market? No. I would say no. And and, and any any kind of earnings gains or, or dividend increases, it's all be, it's all coming from financial engineering I think I mean I, I think even even this cloud business that maybe is the lone bright spot it's it's essentially just replaced what used to be their mainframe business for you know for decades and so it, a, a lot of it is just moving parts around not really having a focus strategy as, as Aaron has talked about I don't I don't it's a rudderless ship Okay, a little skepticism there. Well, let's move on to a little company called Facebook. Facebook doubling down on augmented reality at the Facebook F8 conference on Tuesday. Aaron, CEO Mark Zuckerberg, said that augmented reality will be Facebook's, quote, second act. Um, Zuckerberg introduced a new platform that will allow Facebook users to leverage augmented reality. What do you think? I think this is another blatant ripoff of Snapchat. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is. Have you guys looked at the Facebook app? At all lately? What does that allow you to do? So, so right at the top, before anything else, there are Facebook Stories, which was something also completely taken from Snapchat. Yeah. Um, right in the top corner is the camera, and this is where the augmented reality um, portion is coming into play, where you can take a picture, put on different filters, essentially, and it will overlay whatever fancy filter. Um, you know the team has put in place over you know your face or whatever it is. So using right. Facebook's own camera app. Yes. So using Facebook's own camera app, which again taken straight out of Snapchat's playbook. So <laughs> so so I, I guess I would just say like Evan Spiegel is essentially, and this is kind of the the joke that's going around. But Evan Spiegel, Snapchat's CEO, is essentially Facebook's chief product officer, and <laughs> and this this is another example of that. And I think it really only benefits Facebook here. Um, I mean, the barriers to copying are incredibly low. I think the the augmented reality functionality should add fun and intrigue for the users. It should add another source of revenue as advertisers pay to have their own um, their uh, custom filters and masks and that kind of stuff. Um, and then it just differ- decreases the differentiation between Facebook and Snapchat. And because Facebook is so huge, so huge, and it has the the scale. I think what's going to happen is it's going to to cause people to be less inspired to go over and try Snapchat. So it's just a way of, you know, building up its own fortress through copying. Matt, what do you think? Well, and I, you know, it's it's rare that you see a company which we'd kind of put in the imitator category, as Aaron's describing, be very successful. But when you're a company of Facebook size, 
greater network, greater capital resources, they can do it. And you know, as a Facebook shareholder, I'm not one, but as as a Facebook shareholder, I would say I'm I'm probably pretty excited because um, Zuckerberg and team can do this. And so, whenever there's a new platform, new company that's doing innovative things, Facebook can either copy them or buy them. Uh, and so there's there's this moat that they have essentially with the network size and the balance sheet that they have. And and Zuckerberg's done this very effectively um, for many years. Uh, it's not just Snapchat. So uh, I you know whatever happens, I think Facebook's going to take advantage of the best technology, best experience out there, and they have the resources to either replicate it or buy it. And I want to go back to that quote where Zuckerberg said that that augmented reality is going to be Facebook's second act. Do you agree with that? And if not, what will Facebook's second act? Or do they even need a second act? Because I think of Google, and I'm like, that's one heck of a first act. Yeah, I don't think they need a second act. I do think it is hyperbole. I don't think AR is going to be like their next. It's not going to be like a giant source of revenue that replaces you know the core of Facebook. Um, but I do think that they got it. I think that they bet wrong. Um, they bet you know three four years ago on VR. Um, and AR was actually the first to come to market because and, of Snapchat. And explain the difference between VR and AR. Sure. So, virtual reality is when you're completely immersed. So, you put on a headset, and it has completely covered your field of view, and you're, you feel like you're somewhere else. Augmented reality just overlays um, you know, imagery, interactive imagery, over the real world. Um, both you know, follow similar and rely on similar technological tailwinds, but they are fundamentally different. But in terms of what Facebook's second act would be, I don't think it's either of those. I think it has to do something, uh, has something to do with the messaging and figuring out how to monetize that better. Right now, they have you know, over a billion people on Facebook Messenger. They have over a billion people on WhatsApp. Um, they just started testing advertising there. Um, but I think for example, the the ex PayPal president is the head of Facebook Messenger. So I think payments, um, building payment infrastructure is going to be um, very important. And figuring out how they can help people, you know, pay for things or send money over to each other, um, I think that's going to be huge. And guys, let's go to the full mailbag from Seth A. Smith. Yesterday, you were talking about how Netflix is profitable but cash flow negative. Can you please explain how this happens? I don't understand the math. So that's yeah, that's that's a common misunderstanding with with Netflix and a lot of companies that that capitalize a lot of their costs. So in Netflix case, they're paying a lot of upfront cash for content that they're develop they're going to develop in the future or that will that will be shown in the future and then they'll generate revenue from. So the accounting is wonky in the sense that they're making a lot of real cash payments. So cash is coming off the balance sheet uh, and it's an operating cash flow outflow. Uh, for content that's not being going to be revenue generating or expensed uh, into the future, and so the operating, the income statement you're seeing today doesn't reflect content that Netflix is paying for today for content that's coming down in six months, a year, or even several years. Because content can take time. If you're if you're building a new show or, or making a movie, you can start investing in that today, but that film or show might not hit for another year, year and a half. And so that's just how the accounting works. And so and Netflix has been doing this for years. And the fact that they're investing so much in original content, I think two billion dollars just over the last year alone, um, and they're going to spend even more of that in the future, uh, means they're going to be negative uh, cash flow generating, even though today they're reporting a profit based on current operations. So, how much weight should investors give when they hear that Netflix is profitable? It seems you seem to be saying that's that's a bit misleading. I, I would say it's very misleading. Any kind of any company that that depends on 
capital investments, a significant amount of capital investments, whether you're a software company or, or internet streaming like Netflix, um, I think it's really important to look at free cash flow. Uh, and if you if you add those expenses back in, um, they're 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 a negative free cash flow company. So, and and when Netflix ultimately and they expect to, then when they ultimately hit that tipping point when they're generating so much cash, the, the you know the subscriber base is so big that they're also generating free cash flow, even still investing in new content. That's when I think you say Netflix is truly a profitable company. And guys, let's go to another email here from Brian Bosack, um, who writes: I keep seeing headlines like this one: Tesla just passed GM to become America's most valuable car maker. And Brian goes on to write: What I don't fully understand is why intelligent people keep calling Tesla a car maker. When they do so much more than that, they could be a battery producer, technology company, energy company, yet they keep getting compared, unfairly in my opinion, to Ford and GM when it comes to market cap. It feels a bit like calling Apple a phone company and comparing them and, and comparing them to Motorola instead of Microsoft or Google. If you had to call Tesla a blank company, what would you call them and to whom would you compare them? Uh, um. I would say Tesla is a vertically integrating, energy-conscious car company. Wow! It's uh, so it, a car company. It, with it's several, a car company with, okay. several <laughs> a, with several big adjectives in front of it. It's a car company. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it really is a car company. We were we were talking before. Apple is a phone company. Um, uh, I I do think that. Um, you have to look at what there is they're selling, and it is cars. That said, I do think that there is a danger in in comparing here. Um, I personally don't want to compare Tesla to anyone, literally anyone. Um, and my thinking here just kind of stems around the fact that there are two types of evolution: there's gradualism and there's punctuated equilibrium. And those are fancy terms, but the latter category, which uh, you could say in business speak, those are the companies that create a new industry or radically change an existing industry. They should not be compared to the incumbents because the market is forward thinking and because they are changing the rules of the game and will look different at some point in the future. And investors who try comparing what's new with what is old, which is classic innovator's dilemma, are going to miss out on the underlying story there. Punctuated equilibrium. There you go. Science <laughs> lesson for the day. It sounds like a medical condition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Aaron's nailed on the head. I just think for now, if if Tesla is going to be generating ninety percent of its revenue roughly from cars, and you know, Solar City is going to be integrated this year mainly, but it's still going to be ninety percent revenue from cars. Apple, seventy percent odd revenue from phones. That's that's the the prime product. Now that can change over time. Like Amazon, I don't think it's fair to call Amazon a retail company anymore. Uh, you could have called them a retail company. I think an online retail company five years ago, but now because of the diversity of the business, you can call Amazon something different. But it, for now, where is the revenue coming from? Where's the where's the you know where's the beef made? Okay, sorry, Brian. So it sounds like for now, still a car company. Tesla's Tesla. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Matt, Aaron, thanks for joining me. Thanks. Thanks. Matt. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.